Welcome to the eLaborate Topics Podcast, where we focus on lab-specific strategies for medical laboratory professionals. We're proud to be the healthcare detectives that work behind the scenes to get the results needed to influence medical decisions. Let's grow together and jump right into the lab. Welcome to another episode of eLaborate Topics. I am your laboratory mentor and host for this episode, Tywana Wilson. For those of you tuning in for the first time, welcome. We are so glad that you landed on this podcast. If you are returning guest of the show, you are awesome. Thank you for continuing to listen week after week. Elaborate Topics is a weekly show where myself and my co-hosts, Lona Small and Stephanie Whitehead, bring you relevant leadership and technical strategies that you can use inside and outside of the laboratory. Today's special guest, Ms. Lindsay Clark, will be talking about the importance of forming a professional identity and laboratory professional credentials. A little bit about Lindsay. Lindsay Clark is an assistant professor in the Department of Laboratory Sciences of UMass in Little Rock, Arkansas. She teaches current topics and medical laboratory sciences and molecular diagnostics to both traditional MLS and MLT to MLS distance students. Lindsay is heavily involved in interprofessional education where she advocates for laboratory science students and professionals to play a larger role in the interprofessional teams. Her research interests include biological and laboratory safety, virtual reality training, and interprofessional education for lab science students. She also works very hard to promote the profession, so make sure you catch her on social media where you can find her on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook under at Lindsay in the Lab. So without further ado, Miss Lindsay Clark, how are you? I am doing well. How are you doing? I am doing well. So let's jump right into it. I know you have a lot of tidbits that you want to share with the listeners, and I just want to hear about your career journey and how did you get to where you are being an assistant professor of laboratory medicine at University of Arkansas for Medical Sciences? That is actually a really interesting story. Um, How I got into the lab in the first place, I Um, worked at a vet clinic as a vet tech and I knew I couldn't do that forever because the pay is not that great and so I really started thinking what is my favorite part about this job and by far it was running all of the lab tests that we did um, and we did a lot of microscopy work looking for parasites and things like that and I just absolutely loved it so I researched figured out that the people that do this in the hospitals um, for humans are called medical technologists or medical laboratory scientists. And I just knew, like, this is it. This is what I want to do. So I got into the lab. I went back to school, got into the lab, um, and eventually landed in a position where I was assisting in a student laboratory and setting up all of their labs and helping teach their labs. And that's where I really fell in love with teaching. Um, And from there, I was kind of in the right place at the right time when a Uh, position opened up on the faculty at UAMS. Um, So I was 
just finishing up my master's degree and happened to kind of um, be right there when that job was posted. I had already been working closely with the faculty in the student laboratory, and I happened to um, nab that position, and I have never been happier in a position, I can tell you. That's awesome. And I know when we talk to a lot of laboratorians all over, they feel like this career is kind of limited. And that's awesome that you've been able to get into it. You've been able to get into the education side of it. And sometimes people refer, maybe not sometimes, a lot of times, people refer to medical laboratory science as the hidden profession where many professionals, especially our healthcare colleagues, they don't even know what we do or really fully understand what we do. Can you share your thoughts about it and some simple ways we that are in the profession can advocate and promote the industry? Yes, absolutely. So it is really, it is still after um, going on eight years in the profession, shocking to me that so many people don't know who we are and what we do. Um, one of the things that I um, advocate for on a regular basis is for as laboratory professionals to educate when the nurses call and have questions, educate them. If you have to call the floor and ask for a redraw specimen, educate them on maybe why we're having to redraw that um, and kind of just give them a little bit of an idea of where we're coming from. And that's one of the major ways that we can sort of get our profession out there. Aside from that, um, social media is a great place to sort of share what we do, share articles um, about laboratory professions. Um, right now with COVID going on and all of the testing being in the mainstream media, now is a great time to be sharing those articles and just put a little blurb about this is what I do, this is who I am, we are medical professionals, laboratory professionals, um, and we play a huge role in healthcare. Absolutely. I think you're right. It starts with us, and it starts with us educating others. And, you know, you're right, starting with our nurse colleagues, helping them help us. You know, if we do get those specimens that maybe the collection wasn't the best and now we're not able to perform the testing of educating them on why uh, the specimen type was not great or why we need them to order uh, the draw of the specimens a certain way. But I absolutely agree with you that education is important, and that's the only way that we get the word out and using social media. And I know that you're very active on social media. What are some of the things that you're doing uh, in regards to social media that people can, you know, do and, and don't feel like it's, it's a lot of energy? Um, for things that don't require a lot of energy, um, especially on Twitter, it's very easy to retweet. Um, if you find a tweet that is talking about who we are, what we do, why we're important, um, or any type of education about our profession, just hit that retweet button um, and send that out. And it, it's very helpful. You know, it, it sort of spreads it further um, that way. On your personal social media pages, like on my personal page, I do share stories um, from the media, and there's lots of videos now about who we are and what we do, um, and it's easy to kind of just share those without really saying much about it. 
So that's sort of one way that I try to do that when I don't have just a lot of extra time um, for, for adding a lot of my own commentary. That makes sense. So listening audience, one of the things you can do is you don't have to be the originator of the content to get the word out. And I know that time is of the essence and everybody feels like they don't have a lot of time. But just retweeting and sharing those articles, those stories, those videos, those posts, those quotes uh, of things that other people and, and some of your other colleagues are sharing will make a huge difference. So if you are over there on Twitter, make sure you get connected. We will follow Lindsay in the lab. She's sharing and retweeting. So that's a start right there. You just start with Lindsay and share some of her stuff. So depending on when you enter the field, you may or may not be aware of all the different credentialing agencies and job titles that are out there. I know when I entered the field in 2004 is when I finished my degree, I entered, I had a bachelor's degree, and I got certified as a medical technologist through ASCP, and, and now it's a medical laboratory sciences. And, you know, it was NCA was out there at the time, and it, AMT, and, and there were so many uh, credentialing agencies and titles and CLS. Can you share with the listeners, Lindsay, the various agencies that are out there and, and titles? Because I think that's what could be confusing the general population, why they don't understand who we are. I 100% agree with you. And I actually spend, I have an entire lecture that talks about these professional credentialing agencies and different professional organizations that are out there. So the credentialing agencies, the three major agencies, um, we have the American Society for Clinical Pathologists, the ASCP Board of Certification. This is going to be the most common one that you'll see. And right now they're certifying as MLS or Medical Laboratory Scientist and MLT, or Medical Laboratory Technician. And the difference is the MLS is at a bachelor's degree level. MLT is going to be at an associate's degree level. Previously, ASCP, like you mentioned, was certifying um, professionals as MT, or Medical Technologist, and MLT. So we've already got two sort of different titles here. We also, the AMT is still around, American Medical Technologist, um, probably the second most common of these agencies. And their certifications um, include MT, so medical technologist, MLT, medical laboratory technician, and they have several other um, sort of certifications as well. So an example would be an RPT or a uh, registered phlebotomy technician. And so we have lots of letters um, going on for lots of sort of different positions. And then there's also the American Association of Bioanalysts, and they have a board of registry. It's probably the least common in the U.S., but you do see these certifications. They also certify a bachelor's level as medical technologist, or MT, and the MLTs um, as medical laboratory technicians with an associate's degree. They have a um, molecular diagnostics technologist certification among several other um, certifications that also have their own letters. So beyond just the certifications um, and all these letters that we have, there are different job titles also. And so we have 
places that are hiring for medical technologists still, um, they're hiring for, some are hiring for medical laboratory scientists. Some uh, job titles are clinical laboratory scientists. And then you run into this same issue with schools, actually, the programs, where you have some are um, MLS programs, some are CLS programs, you've got MLT programs, CLT programs. So we just have, as a profession, we have a plethora of letters. And it's very confusing, um, even to some people within the profession that are new, that maybe don't know about the previous um, letters, the MTs, um, and, and are in a certain area, MLS will be dominant, and another area, CLS, will be more dominant. And so it kind of depends on where you are, too, um, which letters are more common. So we have lots of letters in our profession that can be, that essentially mean the same thing, and that can be very confusing for sure. Absolutely. It seems like the only thing that's consistent is MLT within the various organizations, at least today, but understanding that there are still some differences. And so with the MT versus MLS versus CLS, because I know with ASCP, you, you see a lot of people that still use MT, and then you have, you know, those that use MLS. When is it appropriate to use the MLS versus the MT? That's or a great question. Or could I use them intercha- interchangeably? <laughs> well, that's actually a great question. Um, as far as your ASCP, if you were certified as MT, most of those professionals are still going to use that MT credential. Um, around, let's see, I'm not sure exactly when they changed over. When I started school um, back to college in 2012, my program was in the process of changing um, terminology from MT to MLS. Um, The ASCP had actually changed sometime before that to where now you are certified as MLS um, with the ASCP credentials behind that. A lot of people do use those interchangeably, um, and there are still a lot of folks working in the lab that were certified under the MT terminology. And so you'll still see that a lot um, with some of the folks who've been in the lab a little bit longer. That makes sense. I know, I like I said, I when I got certified, it was certified as MT ASCP, but once uh, ASCP changed, and when I got certified, that's when you had to start with the continuing education hours to maintain your certification with the 36 hours every three years. And so once I had to maintain uh, my certification, then they allowed you to use that uh, CM, Certification Maintenance, initials uh, behind your certification, and then that's when I transitioned uh, myself personally uh, to the MLS, and that's what my card says is MLS ASCP. So I no longer say MT. I don't feel like MT is is current. I think uh, people will know whether I use MT or MLS, but I personally use MLS. So it's always interesting. It's funny because uh, my uh, colleagues and I, me and Stephanie use MLS, and then Lona, she uses MT. Yeah, and I think 
I mean, I believe they gave you a choice, right, whether to go into that certified maintenance, because there's some of those folks that are um, kind of grandfathered in that are not required to do that maintenance. Correct. So if you were certified after January 1st, I believe it was 2004, then you were required to maintain certification. Uh, the the continuing education hours. So when I came into the field, I didn't have a choice. Uh, those okay. who were certified before, I was like kind of right on the cusp. Uh, and gotcha. those who were certified before were not required to uh, do the continuing education hours. So those are people who were certified prior to 2004. You, you probably will uh, see where they use the MT. Yes. So we kind of talked about this already, about the different uh, various credentials and titles and, and contributing. So how do you feel that it contributes to confusion inside of our profession, so like within each other, and then how does it create some of that confusion outside with some of our partners, our hospital partners, uh, and, and everybody else who's really not familiar with the industry? I really think that all of these different titles do contribute um, heavily to the confusion. And you'll see sometimes on social medias in some of the groups where it's mostly laboratory professionals, um, there will be people that will ask, well, what's the difference between MLS and MT? And again, a lot of that has to do with um, newer newer professionals that are coming into the lab that maybe weren't taught or don't know um, that, you know, ASCP used to certify as MT. They don't really know that older um, terminology. And so there's a lot of times that that contributes to confusion within our own profession. And then you run into the whole um, sort of problem of all these different job titles. And so when they are new graduates and they're out there looking for positions, if nobody has really told them or helped guide them, they may not understand that a medical technologist position that is posted, they are actually qualified for that as an MLS. Um, and the same thing with a CLS, a clinical laboratory scientist. That's, they're essentially the same thing. And so I think that that um, certainly contributes to confusion with our own field. And if we are confused about our own profession, um, that certainly is going to mean that the general public and other healthcare professionals are going to be very confused. And so we don't always realize these are the same thing. Other healthcare professionals are certainly not going to realize these are actually the same job. They're the same profession. Um, and so when they hear all these different titles, they don't really understand like, oh, these are all actually, you know, medical laboratory scientists and they're all kind of doing the same thing and they're all certified and qualified to be doing what they're doing. Um, I have spoken with countless healthcare professionals that are in other fields that have been very confused about who we are and what we do. Um, and so I always take the opportunity to try to educate them um, but certainly, you know, having so many letters and so many different job titles and certifications um, is very confusing. Absolutely, I agree. And it makes me think about this next question is, 
you know, why is this so important outside of the confusion for the lab field to form more so of a unified professional identity? I know as lab professionals, we're always kind of quick to talk about nursing and, you know, the salary inequities there. But usually with your nurses, you have an RN, whether it's a two-year, four-year, master's degree, it's still RN, you know, and then you have their LPN. They don't really have a bunch of different titles uh, as much as we do. And and I don't know if that helps them uh, or not, but it seems like they have more of a unified uh, front into who they are. And talk about that a little bit from the lab perspective of why we need this kind of a more unified professional identity in order to really move ourselves forward and really have that true advocacy. We, we, the reason it is so important for us to have a more unified professional identity is to help clear up some of this confusion about who we are, what we do, and what are our qualifications. Um, you spoke about RNs, and in general, RNs, um, registered nurses, are RNs. Now, depending on their different specialty, they might have some extra letters behind their name if they are certified OR nurses or if they're certified pediatric nurses. But for the most part, they all still have that RN credential. For us, because our credentials are kind of all over the place, it makes it really difficult. So if um, you spoke to salary, and I think this is a really, really important point here. If my institution wants to do a market adjustment where they are looking at the average salary around the country in similar institutions, um, similar facilities, and they are doing this market adjustment looking for other jobs that match our jobs, well, let's say we are classified as medical technologists. That's kind of older terminology, and we're not going to find um, – you know, we are not going to pick up all of the institutions or facilities that are the same as us. So we are actually not going to have a very fair market adjustment to our salary because we're not sort of equally comparing to all of these different job titles. So it's super important if we all, let's say we all went by medical laboratory scientists, and that's the current um, terminology. That's what ASCLS and ASCP have um determined is the best terminology for the bachelor's level, MLT for an associate's level. If we are all MLS, when they go to look for our market adjustment and they are comparing our salary to other similar facilities, we're going to get a more fair sort of assessment um, and hopefully adjustment of our salary. And I think that could be really helpful for us in terms of sort of more bargaining power um, to sort of bring our salary up. And also with the salary adjustments, a lot of times we are looking at the HR department is looking at all of this data, not necessarily a lab professional that would understand all of this. And so we don't fully understand it as a profession a lot of times. HR definitely doesn't. So that's one of the major reasons. Um, but also just to kind of get a more unified front out there. You know, nurses, we know that nurses, in general, their job is to take care of patients. We want the public and other healthcare professionals to know that as an MLS or an MLT, our job 
is to take care of patients by running all of their laboratory tests and giving you the most accurate results that we possibly can. Absolutely. I think you brought up a, a great point in that that HR, they don't necessarily know all the nuances of our background and of our profession. And so, again, it speaks to why the advocacy piece is important, why it's important for us to talk about what we do, who we are. And, and I agree, if I had a magic wand, everybody would be MLS or <laughs> MLT, <laughs> and, and we can call it a day, but unfortunately I don't, but if I did. <laughs> So that was a that was a great point that you brought up, you know. And I think it it makes me think too. I had a, a friend recently, and, and you could tell that you know again people are are confused. And, and and my friend is in healthcare, and we were talking about COVID tests, and she was like, "Yeah, my physician they performed the test," and I'm like, "Hold up." Hold up, <laughs> hold up now. Nothing against uh, your your uh, physician, but the lab performs mm-hmm. your test. And then it was like, well, I looked at my chart, and it has my physician's name. I'm like, because your physician ordered the test, but the mm-hmm. lab is the one that's <laughs> performing the test. And so many people think that their physician the one that is performing the test because they are the ones that are usually delivering the results or they're, you know, somebody in their office or whatever the case may be. And the general public don't talk to the lab. So we do all the work behind the scenes. We help the physicians and clinicians and nurses and all of our uh, hospital stakeholders uh, be able to uh, operate in their zone of genius and we just kind of stay behind. So do you think that kind of adds to the kind of confusion or, you know, having us be in that hidden profession too? Because, you know, they'll see that it was performed by such and such lab maybe, uh, or if they get a bill, you know, I got a bill from such and such lab. But outside of that, we're kind of behind the scenes. I think most definitely. Um, Even, you know, when outpatients go and get their blood drawn, even if it's a phlebotomist drawing the blood, um, I think the lab is kind of this elusive place that specimens get sent to and then um, a day later magically these results appear and then, right, the physician or that provider's nurse is calling to report those results. And so it just kind of... um, glosses over like the actual performing of those lab tests and so that that is certainly contributing to some of the um, lack of recognition I think absolutely Lindsay are you involved we talked about you know several of the professional societies and organizations from a credentialing standpoint but are you involved in in any of the professional societies and if so what made you choose the specific agencies that you are involved with? I am involved in probably what would be the two most major societies or um, agencies for us. So I'm involved uh, with the American Society for Clinical Laboratory Science, ASCLS. They're involved on a state level. I'm on the board, actually, for the state of Arkansas. Um, And then I do participate nationally in the meetings um, and some of the conferences. 
And then I'm actually involved in ASCP as well, the American Society for Clinical Pathology. These are probably the two biggest agencies, and that's one reason I chose to be involved with them. Um, I think there's a mis misnomer that these agencies don't do much for us as a profession. But I can tell you, having worked with these two societies, they actually work very, very hard to advocate for our profession. And so I choose to be involved in that um, to not only get our name out there as laboratory professionals, but to help advocate to policymakers, to um, Congress, to um, our state um, legislators that might need to know what we're doing and that we need certain things passed or certain things that don't need to pass. So I choose to be involved in those um, for that reason to sort of advocate for us as professionals. And I think that's important that you mention that, that there's so much work that goes on at the state level, at the, you know, at the government level, you know, advocacy and policy that, you know, it's very important for laboratory professionals to get involved with these societies and agencies. It's more than, uh, you know, you pay your membership fee and you get so many continuing education hours a year and, and you move on. And, and one of the things that I would tell laboratory professionals who might be struggling with do I need to join a professional society or not, is it a good use of my time, is it a good use of my talent and treasure, is that you won't know unless you get involved and you get in it and see how it works. I'm involved with those same two agencies, societies, and I can tell you that if you get in and understand why things are the way they are and serve on committees and do the work of true advocacy for the profession and actually getting in and, and understanding and, and wanting to be an advocate, you would realize, just as Lindsay mentioned, that there's so much more to it than paying a membership fee and getting, you know, a limited number of continuing education credits per year. One of the things that I have noticed and being in one of the uh, laboratory groups is that lab professionals sometimes only want on-demand opportunities. And when I say on-demand opportunities, I'm talking like continuing education. I did a poll in one of the groups, and I think that's why they could be missing out on some of the great stuff that you're talking about because it's like, well, I'm looking for a CE that I can listen to whenever I have time, and you're missing out on what the profession has to offer. There's just so much more than what it has to offer. So what tips would you give somebody that's uh, trying to get involved, you know, but not really sure how to get involved or where to start? For ASCLS, I recommend finding your state representatives, um, and you a lot of those can be found on the website, the ASC web, ASCLS website um, with the state societies. Um, contact them, talk to them about what you can do to get involved, um, and a lot, I'll say this about ASCLS and ASCP is COVID you know, forced the national meetings and some of those conferences to go virtual. And we realized how much more accessible those can be if that virtual option is there. 
because it's not always easy to take time off when you work in the lab. And so I think in the future, going forward, that a lot of these national meetings and conferences will be very much uh, more accessible. And so with virtual and everything being recorded, um, this past conference that I went to for laboratory educators through ASCLS, um, they recorded everything. It was all virtual, and we have access to all of those until uh, for, for a month or so, six weeks after the meeting. So if we weren't able to watch everything and get all of our credits, we can go back and watch that later. So definitely, if that has been holding you back, your, your inability to sort of attend conferences or national meetings, I would say don't let that hold you back because we are actively trying to make these more accessible to everyone in the field. For ASCP, they actually have on their website where you can um, find volunteer opportunities. And so they have a lot of different opportunities to include a social media team that tweets out and um, sends out information on social media. They have uh, career ambassadors where you sort of take on helping to educate about our career, helping to do some outreach um, and things like that. Um, and so some of these volunteer opportunities are not just, I need to serve on a committee and attend all these meetings. Um, if that's not your, your thing, certainly find something else that you can do, like posting on social media or just sharing um, with others about our profession. Um, so there's a lot of different opportunities. And I think, just like you were saying, I think you would really be surprised at the work that is going on in these societies. Absolutely. I think you brought up some great points about uh, the reason why you should, you should get involved. I, I really think it makes a difference if you take the time to get involved. And the pandemic has been a double-edged sword, as we all know, but I think it did challenge these organizations to step up and, you know, create more opportunities for inclusion for those who may not have been able to attend in the past and really just getting how they are highlighting, you know, members and, you know, doing uh, webinars and, you know, the mentorship programs through both of these organizations. I just think that the organizations have had to really rethink and retool the way that they do business, which I think is a, a great thing. So let's transition a little bit here. As I know that you are an educator, and we probably have some listeners who are thinking about going into the medical laboratory science or medical laboratory technician program. So as an educator and somebody that's in the program making decisions on uh, future students, when you're interviewing candidates for admission into your program, skills and qualities are you looking for in candidates? I know that it, it can be uh, pretty competitive. So what are you looking for so that if we have anybody that's wanting to get into a program, how can they kind of prepare themselves? Sure. We, we are looking for um, – we're looking at, of course, the things that most college programs are going to look at, academic achievement, your academic aptitude. We're looking for any leadership or professionalism that you have, um, your written and oral communication. But we're also kind of looking for those things that make a very good laboratory professional. So attention to detail, um, people that like to solve problems. You know, we're kind of 
a lot of times referred to as medical detectives, right? So we spend a lot of time solving problems in the lab. And so those types of people, people that really enjoy helping others, really want to be involved in patient care, but may not want to be involved in direct patient care. So these are the, the people that we're kind of looking for. Um, for We actually have an MLT to MLS online bridge program. And in that program, we look for very similar things, but we also look for those that are um, looking to further their education to sort of uh, also further their career. And so they're looking to go from the MLT associate's level to the MLS bachelor's level because they want to be the next generation of leaders. They want to move into leadership and they want to take on those roles um, and lead the labs to, into the future, um, whatever that's going to look like. That's good information. What kind of tips? So once they get into the program and maybe, you know, going throughout their journey and getting ready to graduate, what kind of tips do you give your students so that they can be successful laboratorians once they get into the field? We, we get a lot of questions from our students, especially our traditional students that don't have that lab experience yet. Um, where's the best place to work? Where should I work um, here? And my advice to them is figure out what your priorities are. Is your priority, do you want to make a lot of money? Do you want to travel and see different parts of the country? Do you value your sort of time off more um, than making lots of money? Because there are pros and cons to working anywhere. Any facility that you find is going to have pros and cons. Some have um, a better shift differential, where if you work second or third shift, you're going to make quite a bit more money. Some have um, better benefits, so they're going to have a better retirement option for you. Some have uh, policies where they are very good about allowing you to take time off. Um, and so it really just depends on what your priorities are and what your values are to find a good workplace. Um, in addition to that, usually, um, you know, always follow your lab's policies. I can't tell you how many times I say that in my lectures. Like when you get to the real world, just make sure you always follow your lab's policies and procedures because they're there for a reason. Absolutely. Please do not deviate from those policies and procedures. Please make <laughs> right. sure you are following what is written in your policies and procedures that is happening in practice. <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. Lindsay, do you enjoy being in the field as much now as you do when you first entered it? I think I actually enjoy it more now. Um, I absolutely loved the field when I went in. My work background in the lab is mostly in microbiology and molecular diagnostics, um, and I loved being in the lab, and I just I love it even more now getting to share what I know with students and help prepare them for those roles that they're going to play. Absolutely. Awesome. That's always awesome to hear that you enjoy what you do still, even after you have been in it. So this is a part of the show uh, that is pretty fun part of the show. I'm just going to ask you some questions. Don't overthink about it. Don't think too long about it. These are just fun questions of getting to know you uh, because 
you know, sometimes in the lab industry we can be so serious. So what's your favorite area of the lab? Oh, my favorite area is definitely molecular, just because to me, molecular is the future of the lab. You're going to start seeing this in every department, and it is so incredibly fascinating. Um, So that's definitely my favorite area. Okay. Hospital or reference lab? Oh, I actually never worked in a reference lab. I worked um, sort of in the send-outs area, but I really enjoyed working in the hospital lab. Okay. Generalists or specialists? Ooh, I think there's pros and cons to both. <clears throat> when I was first hired as a student, I was sort of more of a generalist, but I loved being a specialist in microbiology um, and learning just all the little tiny details about all of the different things that you can find um, in, in cultures. Okay. First shift or off shift? Off shift being second or third. I liked working first shift just for the time that it sort of gave me after work. But I will say this, I am not a morning person. And so um, I sort of, we stagger our shifts now um, in the office, and I work what we call the late shift. So I work about 9 to 5.30 or so. Um, And that really works well for me. The 7 a.m. was tough. It was tough for me. And if a book was written about you, what would the title of the book be called and why? Let's see. A book about me. You know, I think the title would be called In My Free Time, and free time would be in quotes. And I think it would just be a list of everything I want to do um, at some point in my life that I just haven't had time to do as of yet. (laughs) That would be enough to fill up a whole book, um, honestly. (laughs) Awesome. So how can the listeners stay connected with you and continue to follow you on your leadership and laboratory journey? Certainly. So I am on social media um, on Twitter at Lindsay in the lab, and it's L-I-N-D-S-E-Y in the lab. Um, I'm also on Instagram under the same sort of handle, at Lindsay in the Lab. And then you can find me on Facebook. I actually have a Facebook page. It's called, guess what, Lindsay in the Lab. And then I'm also on LinkedIn. So you can find me um, on Lindsay Clark in LinkedIn. Um, And you can certainly connect with me that way. I also have all of my contact information is listed on our UAMS website, uims.edu. You can find us under the College of Health Professions. Um, So if you have questions, you're welcome to email me or call my office also. Awesome. And before we get out of here for this show, what is one last nugget that you want to leave the listening audience with? I just really would encourage everyone to get involved get involved. You know, we all tend to kind of complain about, I feel like I don't make enough money. We're very short staffed. We, it's very stressful. We're working a whole lot right now. And one of the main ways that we can change that is to get involved and to advocate for our profession. Um, so that, that's what I would say is just, um, I encourage everyone to find a way to get involved in that. Awesome. I think that's great advice. So make sure you find a way 
to get involved. So thank you so much, Lindsay, for jumping on the show today. I have definitely enjoyed this interview. I definitely enjoyed learning from you, and you were a great participant on the hot seat. So I really appreciate you taking the time (laughs) out to, to join me today. Well, thank you so much for having me. I really had a great time, and I hope that we can do this again sometime. Awesome. Yes, we will. So thank you, listening audience, for tuning in to another episode of Elaborate Topics, where I am your host, Tywana Wilson, and I interviewed Lindsay Clark, and we talked all about the various professional societies, the various titles that we have in our industry, and Lindsay gave so many nuggets that you want to definitely check out. So if you can do me a favor and share this podcast out with, share with a colleague, share it with a future student, share with anybody who needs to be connected to this podcast and listen to this podcast. We would definitely appreciate it. And until next time, my friends, have an awesome week. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Elaborate Topics where your hosts discussed relevant strategies for laboratory professionals. Please subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast platform and listen to us on directimpactbroadcasting.com. Stay tuned for another episode with information you can use to excel in your laboratory career.